Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Monday, May 15th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 517 features former NBA ESPN fantasy basketball guru Seth Landman. And I'm Evan Valenti, and this show is powered by FanDuel and BetterHelp. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. And go to BetterHelp.com slash Beat for 10% off your first month. All right, everybody, welcome in. We've got at least a couple more weeks of season, hopefully another month plus. This is Celtics Beat, Adam Kaufman, Evan Valenti, we're always here. Good friend of the program, Seth Landman, rejoining us, and I will get into partially the specifics as to why beyond the fact that we just adore him and we are obviously all on a text thread as we talk about all the time. We live and breathe the seas together, and so it only seemed fitting that we recap the East semifinals and look ahead to the East Conference finals. But tell you what, boys. As had them all along, right? As if there was ever any doubt. Down 3-2 to the Sixers, no problem. Eke out a Game 6 win in Philly. Steamroll them. Geno time at the Garden in Game 7. I know I had a great Mother's Day. How about you guys? Tremendous. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful day. It was sunshine outside. You open the windows a little bit, get some fresh air in there. It all, all tied up with a nice Celtics win. And a dinner with Mom. It was tremendous. Great day. Can't complain. I do want to start, Landman, with with this, with you specifically. You, uh, I don't know, you, you, you tell me if it's one of those sort of by nature, just preferring to look at things a little glass half empty as opposed to half full. As a sports fan, I don't mean life in general, but as a sports fan, My life too. Or, or, or if you, you know, like you were texting that you you just had no faith going into Game Seven that Boston was going to win this game. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you know that was just sort of you trying to prepare yourself for the worst that way you would be less disappointed or if now coming out of such a big victory going into the series against Miami you are overall feeling better about this team uh, that's a good question <laughs> um i don't know if i'm i'm having a tough time myself untangling the the rooting from the brain like rooting interest in things happening in sports is like intellectual analysis of what's going to happen in a basketball game. No part of me thought the Celtics should lose to the 76ers. Like if you ask me before every game of that series, who's going to win this game? I'd be like, the Celtics are going to win this game. If I wasn't a Celtics fan, but the Celtics fan in me is like, yeah, I do sort of like go to this place of 
expecting the worst, maybe to protect myself in some vague way. (laughs) I mean, it's hard to know why we do these things, but like, you know, rooting for rooting for a team. It's it's complicated. It, it, it's a roller coaster. Uh, it's a real roller coaster. roller coaster. There's a lot of baggage because we think back to the history and all the times that you know we're we're inclined. We're we're conditioned as people, never mind yeah. sports fans in society and humanity. It, it, it is in our DNA to sort of you know harken back to the losses versus savoring the wins. It's, yes, it's unfortunate. It's just the way that most people are wired. And so, you know, we will sit back and we will think about all the different times they, ah, they almost got there as opposed to celebrating banner 18 in ways that no one other than every member of the 2008 Boston Celtics has for the last, you know, 15 years. Uh, They have celebrated a title uh, despite only winning one and what a one it was, but they have celebrated a title like no championship team maybe in history has ever celebrated a title. But that being said, I think it is a good time to, uh, I I just want to, I want to feed you guys and, and our listeners, our viewers, some numbers, because there are so many great ones coming out of that game seven win against Philadelphia, that romp one, this one, it's just, I'm not going in any particular order. Uh, and many of these are from StatMuse, and I love, love, love this account. If you don't follow it on Twitter, check it out. It's just at StatMuse. In their sixth playoff run, we can build on this one a little bit later on. In their sixth playoff run, Larry Bird averaged 26 points, nine rebounds, six assists. Jason Tatum in his sixth playoff run, 28 points, 11 rebounds, five assists. Totally different era, three-point shots versus not. You know, I, I I get it. I get it. But sort of fun numbers as we sort of, again, bask in the greatness that was that Game 7 and all things Jason Tatum. So last year, most turnovers ever in a playoff run in NBA history. This time around, most points in a playoff game ever. Never mind a Game 7, which he also is a record he set. Most points ever in a Game 7 with 51. Most points ever in a playoff game, period, with zero turnovers. Zero turnovers. The guy was truly a tactician out there. He was borderline flawless. Uh, it, it was... It, it, it was astounding to watch. I, I'm, I'm looking down because I'm scrolling through some of these. Uh, yeah, we'll what else you got? About, we'll talk about Joel Embiid a little bit and Doc Rivers a little bit. But again, some of the raw numbers. Most wins ever against Joel Embiid uh, all time, including playoffs. <laughs> if you didn't see this one. 23 tied Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. 22, Marcus Smart. Ugh. 18, Al Horford. <laughs> <laughs> was uh, on the Philadelphia 76ers. Who was for, on the Sixers. Uh, so there was a, a gap period. Otherwise, the number would be higher. Uh, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, both 6-1 and one in their careers in Game 7s. Jason Tatum, 5-1 and one in his career in Game 7s. Think about how long this guy has been in the league. I mean, we just said it. Sixth career, you know, run of playoffs. And he's already played that many Game 7s, which is ridiculous. Whereas Joel Embiid, if you're wondering, 0-3 in Game 7s in his career. He's only uh, played 11 series. <laughs> right. And can't get out of uh, round two. I uh, also want to mention uh, Doc Rivers. And again, these, these this is just sort of like the Cliff Notes intro. Cliff Notes intro to this show. Doc Rivers uh, has now, or already had, but has uh, the the most game seven losses of any coach in NBA history. Overall, he is six and 10, 0 and five on the road. And his teams, he, uh, presiding over these teams, 17 and 33 in closeout opportunities. So that's, that's sort of what the first half of this show is going to be is all of those things that I just mentioned. And then we'll get into previewing Miami because I know, you know, people are excited about that game one Wednesday at the garden, but let us start guys with Jason Tatum. 
I thought he'd have a big game. I was convinced he would have a big game. But in, in saying that, if I'm being truthful, and I, I probably I've said it on the podcast too, so it's like whatever. Check the receipts. I felt the exact same way going into Game Six, mm-hmm. <laughs> and obviously he didn't turn it on until the fourth quarter of that game. But for him to, I, you know, I I even tweeted out right before the game, we really just need like six eight points out of Tatum in the first quarter, mm-hmm. just to sort of feel like okay, you know, he's he's. He is out of his own head in, in terms of the 0 for 6, 0 for 8, 0 for 11. Like, let's just, let, let's see a couple of go in. Even if they're at the free throw line, let's see a couple of go in. 11 points in the first quarter and the guy, Seth, never stopped. He played a beautiful basketball game, but I will say this. Even the, the first quarter, what, like, it was the second and third quarters, like, um, I actually thought he started a little tight, which is crazy for a game where he had 51 points and zero turnovers. <laughs> he like there there were a couple missed layups early. I think like chances going to the rim where he like I don't know. I remember watching the first quarter and feeling a little worried about Tatum, which is crazy to say. Like looking back at this game, um, but to me the key to the whole thing is the is the turnovers and like not that he has to go out and commit zero turnovers every time he plays, but you know, the, I would say the main thing that I've been worried about with this team d- dating back to last year's finals and actually even the series against the Heat last year is that it seemed like good teams had figured out that you can steal the ball from these guys when they drive to the basket. And in this series that was happening, I thought like, you know, uh, a guy like Tyrese Maxey, who generally is not a good defender, was being was able to be impactful on defense because the one thing he can do is get steals. He's got good hands. He's quick. Um, and and Tatum and Brown especially, but really every Brogdon this, is guilty of this a lot. But they don't protect the ball when they're driving to the basket. So for Tatum to go into this game and have zero turnovers, what did he take, 28 shots? Yeah. Very efficient, 17 out of 28, which is kind of, you know, the, the, like that's part of what gets me excited too is yeah. you know, people were talking about obviously it was – it was Steph's record that he broke that was only set a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Of of I, what Steph had, 50 points 50. in Game 7. Obviously, you know, Tatum went for 51. But if you look back at that box score, Tatum was so much more efficient. Mm-hmm. You know, 17 out of 28, whereas Steph took, you know, 30-something shots or whatever it was. So it's just, yeah. that, it's just another highlight to, that speaks to how incredibly well he played. Well, and basketball-wise, I thought the, the best thing he did it's funny, and his teammates, and maybe the coach too, talked about this. Um, and even the Philly people were talking about this in the press conference afterwards. The, in some ways, like it's not even the scoring that was the most impressive part of what he did. I mean, the the rebounding is a huge mm-hmm. part of it. The help defense is a huge part of it. But and and for me, as someone who's watched him and worries about his propensity to make mistakes in in these tight games, sometimes his ability to see a double team coming stay calm, get it and get rid of it and like set up the offense to do its own thing without him. In many cases, that was really impressive yesterday. He handled the double teams just so calmly. Yeah. And it's a stark contrast to the guy that he's playing and Joel Embiid who can't see who boy at all <laughs> to save his life. And that's, that's what makes the Jalen Brown double off the, off the strong side corner. Like, Evan, we don't have to do this. Somewhat defensible. I'm not going to tell you. I thought it was. I thought it was a pretty. I do. I thought Tatum. I was a little less worried than Seth was about Tatum after that shot on the right baseline. 
uh, I think against Tobias Harris, where he like tried to go up and under and Tobias held his ground. I think he's trying to draw a foul there because that floater is a really tough floater and then did a fadeaway. And that's a shot when, when Tatum is not going right, he's going to take that shot and clunk that in a real, or even airball it. Like it's where he's overconfident and just feeling himself too much. Cause that's a really hard shot, but he hit that. I don't think it touched the rim. So I was like, uh oh, uh oh, this is going to be, this is going to be, well, cause the, cause that, those four threes prior to the end of game six were all completely like d- dead eye on the money, you know, didn't even touch the rim, net barely moved type shots, right? And yeah. that's when you know Tatum's really cooking. And the fact that he had that one early, I was like, oh boy. And then again, once he got into that second quarter, like it was just, it was game on. It's 50, 55, 52 at half. Mm-hmm. We're, we're sitting, I'm sitting here thinking, well, at least we're going to, I thought at that point the Celtics, no matter what happens in this game, are going to have a shot because Tatum is just going to be really good. And no matter, I texted you guys, I was not feeling super confident about having a three point lead considering how poorly Harden and Embiid had played. And now I, you know, we can make all the jokes we want and I, I'm sure we will on the show at some point make all the jokes we possibly want, but I was not, I was not banking on those two guys still being terrible in the second half. What happened was neither of them showed up and Tatum went to a different level and the game was over again in like what? Six yeah, he went God mode. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, it is an incredible effort for Tatum. Again, we talked about how I hate this mental toughness thing. Tatum has an an incredible amount of mental toughness and going from game six, the first three quarters, and then following it up with the five best quarters of his life. Like, that's that's great. That's what you want to see out of your 25-year-old. So I know – I already know how you guys feel about this, but I just feel like it needs to be vocalized anyway. We are, as sports fans, as people, but let's just dial it down and, and as sports fans, prisoners of the moment in so many ways. You know, obviously Tatum goes out and has the rough starts in games four, five, six. And especially even after game six, when he finished strong, the number of people that were in my Twitter mentions saying, trade him, mm-hmm. can't win with him, he's not a leader, he's not going to be someone who ever, you know, reaches the highest level, like totally ignoring his his history of, of big performances and obviously multiple very deep playoff runs. The Celtics and Tatum hasn't been part of all of these, but the Celtics are in the East Finals for the fifth time in seven years, folks. Like th- that is not an easy thing to do unless you're back in like the, you know, the, the, the like Bill Russell, Bob Cousy era when there were like a dozen teams in the league. You know, like, and, and even then I'm not saying it was easy, obviously, but, but, this, when there are this many teams and the competition is, is this great and, and it's so balanced across so many teams across the league and the parity is incredible. You know, it, this is not an easy thing to do. And so there were so many people that it was trade him. He's not mm-hmm. the guy. And then obviously you come out of what he did in game seven and it's, it's as polar and opposite as it can be with the, you know, that was his like, like what the freaking kids say now, like the, the, he is him moments yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and you know, all, all like Jason, T- this is Jason Tatum's world. He's the best player in the NBA and all that. It's again, just the, the, the spectrum, the gambit right, ran so huge. I'm wondering what the happy medium is or what, what you guys feel, how you well, guys feel going into this next series against Miami in terms of what we should, never mind the team. We'll get to the team. What should we expect from Jason Tatum in terms of, you know, was this game seven 
just another one of his big games. And he's had plenty of big games in his career. Or was it sort of that like playoff welcome, you know, wake up call where all of a sudden like everything is clicked and watch out. He is going to be not average 51 points, but we're going to see him put up, you know, 32, 33 on average during this series against Miami. Like, like he's never going to have a bad game again. He's figured it out. Like, right. Um, but that, but that's, that's what people are basically feeling right yeah, now. No, I think what, that game, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I think what we're dealing with with Tatum is the is like what happens when you're the fourth or fifth best player in the league is like you are. It's like clear there are a few guys who are better than him. Like there's there's just a couple, but they exist, you know, Um, and there and then there's a bunch of people who are not as good as Jason Tatum. And but those people are capable of playing better than him on a given night. But in the aggregate, when you add it all up, He's like he's gonna have more nights that are better than most other people's average night than he's gonna have nights that are worse. And you know, I think like uh, when he's when he's on, it, it he's gonna have nights where he he's capable because he's so good. He's capable of seeming like he's the best player alive for a few hours. Um, but you know, it, it's just like is he as good as Jokic or Giannis? No, is he is like. It, does the list go on much longer than that? I don't think so. Um, and so I think, you know, it, it take his average, it, it, like just take his average stats for that series before game seven. How many guys in the league can do that? What he did, what was he averaging like 26 or something? It's yeah, like, ballpark. yeah. So, I mean, like even before he had the great game seven, he's still doing like a, a playing a level of basketball that like almost nobody in the league can really reach, especially in a playoff series where, you know, I mean, look at the guy across the game from him. Like most players averages go down in the playoffs. And so like, just to be able to maintain what you've been doing is, is pretty impressive. Well, then I'll, I'll, again, I'll, I'll sort of fixate on, on, I guess the main question there, which is, do you expect going forward? Cause again, we're only halfway home. Right, <laughs> well, right. Hopefully there's eight more wins to come here. Are we expecting this to continue to ebb and flow? Maybe not as as wide a gap where we're talking over 10 shooting in the first half versus 51.0 turnovers, but are you expecting him to sort of play more at the at the median of what we saw during the regular season or do you think there are going to be these, you know, really stark uh, you know, differences? I think there's going to be stark differences, but and and not not to go not to go all like Missoula on you here, but like um, I've been thinking you know, that I think where you're going to go because yeah, like his, his you know there's a reason that like since his rookie year he's been he just helps you win basketball games whether like whether it's his second season where everyone's calling him a disappointment or his rookie season where he's making tons of mistakes or the seasons where he's been great or the, you know. In all of those seasons, even the ones where we we haven't liked how he's played that much, the team's way better with him on the floor. He does things that help you win basketball games, and he does those things when the shot isn't going in too. And so yeah. he's like he's rebounding, he's playing elite help defense, he's gigantic, his arms are everywhere. Like he he just um you know, even when the shot isn't going in, he's going to be like helping you win basketball games. And so but the shots, like he takes a lot of jump shots. I mean, like he's going to have nights where he makes fewer and nights where he makes more. Um, you know, I don't know how often he's going to find God like he did in game seven, but, <laughs> but like, you know, like that's a special one. 
But most nights he's going to be a really valuable player. And when he's got that step back three cranking, I don't know how you deal with him. Like I really don't. Yeah, that I'm I'm pretty on the same level here as Seth. He's going to play really well. What's going to separate him from being the best player in the game slash the best player in the series versus just a really good player is shot variance. And that's correct. Like he's evolved to the point. And this is, I think what gets lost now about like the the Tatum conversations from maybe a national perspective is like, I think they only really care when he drops a lot of points because it's sexy and flashy and stuff. Like they can still win games when like that's we've, sat here through two rounds, they can win games when Tatum doesn't play well. Because you could make an argument that he wasn't amazing in the Atlanta series, and he definitely wasn't amazing in the Philly series from a scoring the basketball standpoint. But he happens to do a bunch of other stuff that help you win basketball games. The difference from him being elite and him being very good is just shot variance. And the idea is... Hopefully he finds God four times in a series and you don't have to worry about it. But like he, he, the impact that Tatum has, it's like the Celtics sometimes have a bunch of guys that just don't show up in stat sheets all the time. And I think that's what makes everybody crazy about this team is like Derek White does some things sometimes that don't show up in a stat sheet. And then Al Horford does a bunch of stuff that don't show up in a stat sheet. And then Marcus Smart's the king of guys that does stuff that don't show up in a stat sheet. Like that's, it's frustrating to get an, a hold on because a bunch of these guys can impact the game in so many different ways. That's why you bank on this team winning the entire thing because they have more of those dudes than any other team does. And they might have the second or third best one. Like I am obviously not going anywhere near the Jokic thing because he's just way better than everybody else at this point. And it's hard to really argue with that. And every game it's getting harder and harder to argue that. But in terms of, when he's on affecting everything, like Jason Tatum is on the shortest of short list of guys you'd want to have in a series. Like, that's just a fact. So other things that we will cover, obviously, we'll talk a little bit about Joel Embiid and Doc Rivers, uh, and, and you know, and before we get to Miami. But that being said, we'll, we will scratch the surface here, Ev, because I know betting lines are out for game one. Betting lines are out for for all of uh, the, you know, East Finals, West Finals, whatever. And, and the Celtics, as I know you will tell people, with help from our good sponsors, uh, the uh, the Seas are overwhelming favorites to come out of the East and reach the NBA Finals. All right, let's get back at it, talk a little bit more about that series win against the Sixers. And uh, I, removing the Celtics side of things, because obviously the Celtics do get credit for winning the series, even though a lot of people were looking at it as like, they're going to blow this, they're going to blow this series, they're going to blow this opportunity. But with Philly specifically, and I said this multiple times on the podcast throughout the series, I really felt, and I'm not saying this singularly was the case, but if, if you want to boil it down to one thing, you know, in a lot of ways it proved true, that James Harden was kind of the X factor. When he was great, they won. When he wasn't, they lost. You know, kind of plain and simple. And I'm not saying the Celtics don't get credit for maybe the way they adjusted on him or defended him or anything like that. I'm just, again, boiling it down to Harden specifically. He performs well. Sixers won. He doesn't. Sixers lost. And stat news again. Harden in the fourth quarter of games five through six, for anyone that missed this, zero points in 32 minutes, which I thought was just a uh, a wild stat. Also, uh, for you know, for, for all the grief the Celtics have received for third quarters of games and all the nerves, and I was certainly getting texts from buddies going into the third quarter of that game seven. Okay, it's a close game. Let's hope it's still close going into the fourth. Sixers had 10 points in the third quarter of that game, which is tied for the fewest points in a playoff quarter in the shot clock era. 
Now, part of that is the Sixers didn't shoot well, but a, a good chunk of that is what we saw from the Celtics defensively in game six and seven. A great combination, again, to be overly simplistic, guys, a great combination, especially during that 23 run of Missoula ball, all those three-pointers made, and, and, and just the way that they were moving the basketball and shooting the basketball and all of it. Missoula ball meets Udoka and that defense. And, and obviously putting Rob Williams back in, Missoula, for all intents and purposes, this wasn't exactly the case, obviously, wasn't technically the case, but for all intents and purposes, really only went six deep after going, he went seven deep in game six, basically only went six deep in game seven. You know, the bulk of the minutes, you had Tatum and Brown 40 plus, Smart at 39, Williams and Horford both north of 30, Brogdon at 29. Derek White was kind of an odd man out, only played 12 minutes because he sucked. He wasn't good. Everybody else was uh, no, don't don't do that. Don't don't shake your head at me. He wasn't good. Derek White. I'm not saying he wasn't good in the series, but he was not good in Game Seven either end of the floor. Brogdon really had his issues too. But, I don't know if know, I agree with that. But okay, well, we, we, fine. we can you, move on. You can rebuttal. That's fine. Brogdon had his issues too. He had he had some problems defensively. The guy is allergic to making layups for some reason. I can't figure it out. But for the most part, in the aggregate, if you will, he had a good Game Seven. So it wasn't you know all these other guys. Even Grant Williams, which continues to floor me. I really thought this would be a good Grant series. Didn't get much of an opportunity. How impactful, obviously to the eyes and statistically we know, but how impactful truly was that defense in terms of, Seth, a a transformative way taking us into the next round? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few different things going on. I think uh, putting Rob back in the starting lineup is the simple way of looking at it. That that gives them another like long athletic body, another rim protector, somebody who can fly around and make plays. Uh, it cleans up their, any problems they have on defensive rebounding get cleaned up when Williams is in Rob Williams is in the game. I think part of why Grant Williams found himself out of this, this series and why he's been out of the rotation a lot in general is that if you're gonna have like the, um, if you're going to concede that you need to double Embiid, specifically against the Sixers, if you're going to concede that you're going to double Embiid, then that takes if, – if you decide Grant Williams can't guard Embiid one-on-one, you've taken away Grant Williams' best skill, right? Like, that's what he's good at, is guarding people one-on-one. He's he's not the help defender Rob Williams is because he doesn't have the same kind of, like, length and impact at the rim. And so I think – it, it you know i kind of see like why he ended up out of the rotation i will say i think it's a little overly simplistic to just keep like everyone's harping on the putting rob back in the lineup thing i think what's really going on is they're they're insi- they were insisting on playing rob when pj tucker was on the floor and if you match up their minutes it lined up almost like completely except rob got more minutes than tucker did but when tucker was in the game rob was in the game and when tucker was out of the game Rob came out of the game for the most part. There's even a funny little blip in the third quarter where they both come in the game for like, I think a minute, maybe um, I'm not even sure how many possessions it was. And then they're both back out. So mm-hmm. like the, um, you know, I think I was sort of expecting doc to uh, make the adjustment of taking Tucker out of the starting lineup because that would, and putting put Melton in the starting lineup, have more shooting on the floor. Ironically, Tucker makes three, three pointers in the first quarter um, while they're helping off him. But I think having Rob in the game gets to do all that stuff. And one of the things looking forward to the next series, like thinking about how that could impact that defense could impact Miami. Um, 
I don't think we've ever gotten to see a full. We've played Miami a lot in the in the playoffs, but I don't think the Celtics have ever had like a fully healthy Rob for one of those series. And mm-hmm. um, I took a cursory glance at some of the like uh, when Rob is on the floor and Adebayo is on the floor lineups, and the Celtics have been like pretty dominant in those over the last four years. So it's exciting to think that. You know, other than out of bio, I'm not sure where Rob can actually play. Like, if they're worried about playing him against lineups with four shooters, Caleb Martin maybe is a hiding place you could look at. But it'll well, be Martin, interesting to see. Martin hit shots last series. He's he's been yeah no he's he's been, good. He, he's mm-hmm. been shooting. So. Yeah, I mean that, that's the problem with with Rob is like outside of like who is their who's their backup five? Kevin Love. They're, yeah, Love has been the backup five, but they uh, Cody Zeller's getting a few minutes here and there. Yeah, Rob can Rob can, can play, yeah, play with him for sure. Play and yeah. you know Kevin Love, I don't think is blowing by you. So, but he's an open three point shooter, which is a problem. Would they put uh, Rob on Jimmy? Well, that's not a bad idea. I don't mind. Him. I mean, th- these are the things you got to think about because I I do think Missoula, I, I you know I think he wants to keep spacing on the floor offensively, which is why he's been reluctant to go to these Rob lineups. I, but I think there is a defensive part of it too, which is that, I mean, as much as we love Rob Williams, he gets a little bit exposed when he's got to chase shooters around or navigate a bunch of screens or when, when there isn't, he really, his, the stuff he's great at gets to really sing when he can guard someone who isn't a shooter and he gets to like roam around and muck things up. That's like where he's beautiful. So um, All right, before, before we do a full transition to looking ahead to that Miami series, because and I realize I've steered us in that direction. Uh, I know there are just a couple things that we as a group collectively wanted to hit on, one of which, <laughs> uh, Joel Embiid. So I I will – this is for the viewers and for the listeners. I'm not doing this on Twitter. Uh, I, I have taken some flack. I've taken some flack from the people in my mentions uh, for posting the Joel Embiid postgame edit of uh, – of of him sort of saying like James Harden and I can't do this alone and, and him like just coming off as as so prickish and 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 a terrible teammate and uh I well a couple things on that one it's not my edit <laughs> I didn't do it the video came from CD oh come on no, 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 no. I posted it I, I I posted it I own that I own that uh and I don't apologize for it and I didn't delete it and I will tell you why uh and 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 I didn't even I didn't even post the full clip like correction either. And here's why, because I do think he's a crappy teammate. <laughs> I think there's there's so much history that supports that that I don't care if this one was taken somewhat out of context. I really don't because again I think it I think it does sort of speak to you know who he is and part of the reason that he's never made it out of the second round and the failures of Simmons and Fultz there and and so many different things that have happened. Uh, so that's one and two. I've I've sort of said my piece on on Doc Rivers on this show a number of times. Ev knows that I I like I I love I. This is another stat, music stat that I saw. Uh, game seven losses historically ever period for a franchise. Bucks, Celtics, Hawks nine. Doc Rivers ten. Hell yeah. Uh, so so I I, I do oh, I man. do so like these you know it's 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 like these are written for me. And I realize a few of those happened in Boston and a few of those closeout opportunities were that he lost happened in Boston. That sucks. It sucks. It sucks, you know, for for the Celtics at the time. And yes, the man did win a championship here. All the respect, all the credit in the world. 
uh, you know, all the respect. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> almost, all, almost all the. I was gonna. All, I, I, I. You know what? I take back all the credit in the world because I always give Tibbs the the defensive credit for that team. But in terms of managing personalities <laughs> and Ubuntu and all, on, is that is all, can we... all the all, all the credit in the world? But no, where I'm, where I'm going with that is where I'm going with that is this. Not even a credit. I, I know I couldn't even get it out where I'm going with that is I just I was so I'm turned off a lot of the time by some of the crap that Doc does in the media but I was so turned off going into game seven with him harping on the officiating loser stuff yeah loser stuff before the game has even started you know obviously like it's no secret where the report from Woj came from you know it's it's just it's such a as I tweeted built-in excuses before you've even lost and I just I, that stuff. I I wanted them to give it to the Sixers so good in that game for that. Like never, even if I wasn't a Celtics fan, I want just because of that loser mentality going into the game in the first place. But I I've I've said enough. I, I know you have plenty on Embiid. Hang on, before we do, we think Doc Rivers was the problem with this team? No, no, I don't. I really don't. I mean, he's he's going to have to. Know. He's yeah. going to have to own it in in terms of, you know, his record. And this is going to, for as long as he coaches, people are going to bring this up, obviously. But is is he the ultimate issue in Philly? I mean, I I I, I like what Kendrick Perkins tweeted. Like, is I I wouldn't even wait for them to fire me. I'd go to the podium and quit. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, because, because of, like, what my two stars just did to me there. Right. You know, yeah. and it, it, like, Embiid has enough around him to maybe not win a title. But he certainly has enough around they, him to listen, get out of the second round. And they had. spent the whole season talking about how they had enough now. And can I give? I got a bunch of Embiid sets. These are fun. I got a lot of fun little nuggets here. Um, okay, I looked at the last four years of Celtics versus Embiid. He's ten and fourteen against the Celtics over the last four years. That includes playoff games, three and eight in the playoffs. That includes like the year the Celtics were a 500 team. The Sixers won all three of those games. So that's baked in there. Um, he, the, they have a, a 111.3 offensive rating and a 115 defensive rating. Um, in Embiid's minutes against the Celtics. Uh, that's a negative 3.7 net rating. That's the equivalent of this year's Portland Trailblazers team. Nice. Um, what else do I got for you? He, Oh, he averages more turnovers than assists against the Celtics over like over that period of time. Um against the Celtics he's 54% on twos and 24% on threes. Keeps you. Um yep. <laughs> he here here's some good stuff about him overall. He's never shot 50% in the second round playoff series. That's How's that? for a guy that, that plays the game that he plays. Yeah. That's incredible. He's played a he's put He's played 11 playoff series. He shot over 50% three times, and those were all in the first round. Um, he Here are his career regular season numbers per 36 numbers. These are his regular season numbers for his career. He averages, uh, for his career, 31 points, 13 rebounds, four assists, four turnovers. That's per 36? Per, per 36. Okay. Career playoffs per 36? Here you go. 25, 11, three assists, and four turnovers. So a full turnover more than assists. Um, and then just a couple other things about like the way, and this goes to the fact that I think I'm trying to make a point about 
the way we talk about him. I think he uh, unfairly gets uh, a lot of his greatness, especially in the MVP debate around Jokic. This is where it all gets like centralized is like people decide that Jokic is a regular season guy and Embiid is this like guy who you can win with in the playoffs. Never mind the fact that like Jokic has made it farther in the playoffs and has like won more playoff games and all of that. But oh, like it means that Jokic has been on and has dragged to all these freaking yeah. series are, is incredible. I so mean, never never mind all that stuff. But like okay, so what would Jokic do with Jimmy Butler? <laughs> oh my God. You don't even so uh you know Embiid improved his mid range shooting Elias a lot. Bias Harris over me <laughs> Over the last couple of years. So this year he was 44% on shots between three and 10 feet, 51% on shots between 10 and 16 feet. And that's like what everyone was afraid of. That's like why he's supposed to be like playoff proof, right? Like he's going to make these like tough mid-range shots at a high rate in the playoffs, 35% from both of those ranges this year. And the numbers go down every year. Last year he was at like 41% and 43% during the regular season that went down to 40 and 36 like his the shots that are his bread and butter he can't he doesn't make them at the same rate in the playoffs and it's because you can if you game plan for him you can figure out things like what the Celtics figured out like look at how Horford's guarding him he's he's not pressed up on him we talked about this last time we talked about the Sixers but if a big guy is like up on Embiid's body and Embiid can feel the guy he's going to be able to drive he's like comfortable once he can feel you going by you, but so you have to give him a little space, but not too much space. Horford over the course of the series, like we saw him start to eat and beat up kind of in the post, I think like blocking his shots by the end of the series. Um, and, and a lot of, and then this goes back to the thing I think that where doc maybe is to blame and him bringing up the stats about the, um, the missed calls going into game seven is that, And I worry about this with Tatum sometimes, by the way, too. It's like if you're so focused on the refs, then your your thinking has just become like externalized instead of internal. Like you're thinking too much about things you can't control. And I think Embiid and Harden rely on the refs more than basically any players in the league. And so in the playoffs, like the refs are seeing you over and over again, too. And so you flop once and maybe you get away with it, but then they start to see it as a flop. And so... Every time Harden's got his elbows out there or whatever these guys are doing to try to grift fouls, I think those start to dry up as the series goes along too. Um, and then finally, I just wanted to say like the last stat I found is just about career highs. So like, or not career highs, but like scoring highs in the last two seasons, the most points Embiid has scored in a playoff game is 34 and that's in 19 games. And this is a guy who averaged 33 this year in the regular season. And so like, and he had 59 at one point, he had a bunch of 50 point games, like for him to have a a high over the last two years in in 19 playoff games of 34 points. That's just for for a guy who averages as many points as he does during the season and who is ostensibly supposed to be the hub of this great offense. He, he just, he's guardable in the playoffs. Like that's the conclusion you have to draw. Just to pile on with that, too, like Ev, you were talking about our our great gambling partner here. There was a prop bet that I saw that a lot of people took. You know, Game 7, why the hell wouldn't you? You know, center in on the best players. And it was Jason Tatum and and Joel Embiid to combine for 70-plus points in Game 7. And it was like plus it was <laughs> right, like plus, plus 350 odds or something like that. And it lost. And Tatum had 51. 
Wow. <laughs> and it did not hit. Didn't even break. So wow. It, yeah, it, it's just it's 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 pretty incredible to think about. You yeah. know, like in, in terms of just a a dud of a performance. Uh, you know, by by Joel Embiid, and, and and he played 38 minutes. He was five for 18 for those 15 points, minus 28. And I just not to, and he huh. quit. I, he he quit. I just I don't know if you guys saw this either. I just I was scanning Twitter, you know, pregame, and I happened to come across this. I don't even remember who posted it. So sorry, I can't give the credit. But yesterday, at, we sit here on a Monday. Game was obviously on Sunday. Yesterday was the 10 year anniversary of Sam Hinkey being hired by the Sixers. <laughs> okay. It was the 10. So, so people were saying like this, like this game, whether they win or lose in a way is going to sort of define the success or failures of trusting the process. Right. As I use the quote fingers. And I just think it is so poetic. It is so perfect that Joel Embiid, who has never been out of the second round and still with this game seven loss has never been out of the second round. And his nickname is the process, and it basically means failure. <laughs> it's it's amazing. It's they kind of amazing. They should have stuck with the process. They they like they quit on the process and started like bringing in Jan- like Tobias Harris and James Harden and stuff. Like anyway, uh, you know. Well, I mean, they, you're at, you're actively losing games, which is a really bad thing. We don't really want to. Yeah kind of promote that kind of culture. I just find it hilarious that Phil, like if I were Philly and I, and this is just, I don't mean to rub it in this much, but I mean, we're here, aren't we? Uh, It would drive me absolutely nuts to watch Tatum and Brown eliminate me every single season when you could have had both those guys in your team with Embiid. I mean, it just (laughs) would drive me up a wall. It would kill, it would kill me to watch those two guys who you could have picked easily. Do you believe they'd still be there? I mean, so, so development somebody, is, somebody development is weird. Development is so weird. You can't. That's, assume, a, that's a very bizarre timeline to think about. Yeah, you can't assume yeah. anything. But they, I mean, again, the fact that they could have had all those guys on the same team. Which yeah. would, I, if I were a Philly fan, I wouldn't. I wouldn't sleep well at night. I just wouldn't because, like, especially last night, because it's like, man, <laughs> the guys that we could have had are just kicking our ass every year. This is unbelievable. Like, it really is. It's it's like. A team with Embiid, Tatum, and Brown on it, I well, Embiid might have kicked those guys out by now. But like the theoretical team of those three guys on the same team is like just un like remarkable in terms of the talent. I mean, they would be way way more talented than any other team in the NBA. Those two guys are the same thing. You know, Coffee, you, you brought up the the Embiid quote, like the thing that everybody's talking about about like the context of that quote, and yeah. it's interesting because like. I, you know, I want to pile on and beat as much as anybody, but I, I, I get what he was saying in that moment. And I think he was actually saying something about ra- rarely for him. He was saying something about how the whole, ev- they all need to think about how they can get better. But interestingly, like w- a reporter during that press conference asked him spe- like, cause he kept talking about how he always gets better every off season and how he knows he needs to get better. And that he kept kind of saying, I know what I need to work on. And so finally a reporter was like, by the way, what do you need to work on? Like, I forget how he phrased it exactly, yeah. but and B just started talking again about how he missed some shots he could have made. And it's like, that's not what you got to work on, man. Like yeah. you can't work on make miss. Yeah, like you and Devin Booker don't like t- doing double team practice apparently in the off season because that's well, at, least, at least Embiid met with the media. He's <laughs> committing more turnovers than than he's getting assists. It's like, yeah. you know, like if J- that's a problem Jalen Brown has, by the way, too. 
but we, that's why we don't talk about like if Jalen Brown didn't have that problem, we would talk about Jalen Brown like he was one of the five best players in the world. Like he's ten know, right now. I mean, Top maybe, 10. yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you know, like he's got room to improve. Like we're allowed to talk about these things. Yeah. Um, and but so anyway, I think that was like actually the most damning moment of the Embiid press conference was that he actually didn't really have an answer to this thing he kept saying about how he needs to get better. All right, let's get back to the show here. Talk a little bit about Celts and Heat uh, again. Matching up, it 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 isn't literally annual. It feels annual that these teams match up at this stage. As uh, Sham Sharania was among the many to tweet out three years later, the bubble playoffs are back. It's a rematch of the 2020 NBA Bubble Conference Finals. The Heat and Celtics on the one side, and in the West, the Lakers and Nuggets. And we can touch on that series before we get out of here briefly. But uh, I, it's funny. Uh, you know, listening Tony to Kaufman, this is funny to you playing Jimmy Butler <laughs> in a, another series. What I was gonna, well, so what I was going to say is funny is that listening to the little bit of of talking heads, you know, be it TV or radio that I that I've caught going into this already in the wake of that win over the Sixers is so my my feeling going into the playoffs thus far going into the Hawks. No problem. They're going to take care of this in in six games or fewer. It went. You know, or, or in five games or fewer, it went six. It went six uh, against the against the 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 Sixers, and I had a considerable amount of money on this. <laughs> the Celtics are going to take care of this in six games or less. It goes seven. The Heat are actually the team that scares the hell out of me, uh, mainly because of Jimmy Butler on the other side. And I know they're not the same; they're not as good as they were last year. Like Tyler Heroes is unavailable in the regular season; they weren't as good. Uh, but this is still a team that dispatched the Knicks with relative ease, as I thought they would, by the way. Knocked off the one-seed Bucks, which I never would have expected. I know Giannis wasn't fully available and, and in, in some games wasn't even a, a little available. But even still, they took down the number one seed. And this is a team led by the best coach in the NBA, all due respect, Joe Missoula, the best coach in the NBA in Eric Spolstra with a guy who is an assassin in the playoffs in Jimmy Butler. He's he's an all-star. He's a very good player in the regular season, oh, but the guy goes supernova. He goes superstar level in the postseason more often than not. And he scares the, the bejesus out of me. In saying that, Celtics will probably win this series in five just because of how I feel about it versus how I felt about the other series. But... Guys, like that's why, like the betting lines that Evan was talking about before, being like six to one favorites going into the series, it's insane to me that people are just looking at Miami, Seth, like the Heater, this pushover, and and let's get ready for the Nuggets or Lakers. I am I am petrified. Yes, the Celtics are the better team and they should win, clearly, but the Heat scare the crap out of me. Yeah, discounting the Heat, like the Celtics should win this series, but acting like it's like this going to be this route is ridiculous. We've just seen it too many times, but like we were, we were, the Celtics were supposed to have an easy time with the heat last year. It went to seven games and the heat's best player had a shot down the stretch to like win the game. I'm still thinking about it. I'm I'm still thinking about it. Once in a while, I like wake up in a cold sweat thinking about that shot. It's like, if Jimmy had hit that three, my God, I would have been traded in the off season. It's terrifying to think about. I think, (laughs) um, Kevin Durant would probably be here right now. You know, there's some interesting – they're just it, – it's it's always exciting to me to see how Spolstra – like what he's going to – what he's going to have them doing in the playoffs. He He's going to have a clear-eyed view of what his team is, 
they're gonna like if he if they think that they are overmatched in a series, they're gonna shoot more threes. Like they're gonna create variants if they don't think they can hang. Like they're gonna they're gonna find ways of um of exploiting your weaknesses. They're gonna when things aren't going well, they're gonna immediately go to a zone just to see if that gunks you up. They the, and their players all know how to do all those things. They um you know, they like they really they have philosophies they believe in and they stick to those things and and I think it serves them well. I think and then I think the other thing that's going on with Miami right now is that it, it's weird to say but they might be better suited to playing in the playoffs without Hero in a certain way. Um it get, Hero when Hero's on the floor uh, you you'd think it would help their offense, but maybe it's better if Jimmy's in control more. And if you just like if you replace Hero with someone who's just a spot up shooter, does that actually sort of make things a little simpler? And then on the other side of the ball, not having Hero out there takes away a place that a other team's offense can attack on your defense. So I think you know I don't know what wizardry and sorcery Spolster is going to come up with in this series. But they're gonna win a couple games. I mean, there's just no way that it, it, you know, that this is over in five. I'd like to point out, uh, just for all the teams that love making mega trades and huge deals and all that stuff, uh, couldn't you argue like the the four teams that are left, with the exception of the Golden State Warriors, are the most have like the best continuity. Like the the Lakers have LeBron and AD and just a bunch of people around them because they're great. You know, that just works out when you have two really great players. Mm-hmm. But, Miami, like the the thing for Miami, the reason why Miami's there is one, yeah, Giannis got hurt. Like, don't don't get this twisted. But also understand that, like, as Seth just said, this is a team that knows what to do at all times, and they know exactly what everybody else is going to do because they played a kajillion games together. Like mm-hmm. for me, the thing that perplexes me the most about this Miami team is how they went from a bottom third offensive team to like the best offensive team in the playoffs. I just don't. That has broken my brain. Because I said in like the uh, like at you know, the end of the regular season and the start of the postseason, I was like Miami's defense has always been really good, but like I'm supposed to get really invested about Miami with the awful offense that they have because their offense was terrible in the regular season, and now I mean you go back to that again. Not having Giannis obviously hurts, but they shot 45 percent from three against the Bucks. Okay, like that's and that's not for one game. That's for a whole series. So they. I don't know what happened. I'm not quite sure. Maybe it's just like they're just – and again, they lost to the Hawks and then, you know, had a pretty sluggish game against the Bulls. And that's – Yeah. No. <laughs> it's fine. It's, I mean – It's unbelievable. You could argue the other way. and Like, you know, uh, somebody said – I think it was Kevin Pelton maybe on a podcast or maybe he tweeted it, said th- the uh, opponent three-point percentage isn't something that you do. It's something that happens to you. And so you could say that like Miami's just been hot and like, and they're about to, at any moment, they're about to start shooting, you know, 35% on threes instead of whatever they've been. You've watched the Miami games. They get great looks. They get great looks. And I'll tell you the other thing, you know, we were talking about James Harden a few minutes ago and he's a little precious with the shot attempts. Like he likes to go to his step back, but like, you know, how many times was he in the lane and and just didn't go all the way to the basket, right? Pass up a layup to pass, like just to throw it out to somebody. K- Caleb Martin is not gonna. He he ain't like going away from the rim if he's like most of the way towards the rim. Even Max Struess and and their shooters like Lowry, 
and Duncan Robinson and Max Struess. These guys can move without it. Like they're, they're, they're shooters who are willing to shoot threes. They move without the ball and they'll shoot a contested one. Like you got to be up in them. Uh, they'll shoot, they'll shoot under pressure and you make those shots. Sometimes it's better to get shots than turnovers. And they've been doing a great, great job of not turning the ball over. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's like some things, I guess, like in terms of against the Celtics, I would say looking at the stats, it seems like Miami's getting a lot of mileage. Like one of the ways they've been better on offense is that during the regular season, they were turning the ball over a bunch and they've stopped turning it over in the playoffs. So that like, that's going to help your offense a lot. That makes me nervous because the Celtics don't really force turnovers. And then the other thing is they're, um, they've been giving up a lot of like one week, one potential weakness is that they've been giving up a lot of offensive rebounds, but we don't offensive rebound. And so I, I do have some worries that the Celtics, like some of the things the Celtics uh, do just systematically are things that don't line up great with Miami's strengths and weaknesses. So those are some areas that I'd be looking at. I got to force the Celtics have got to force turnovers. Yeah. I do intellectually kind of look at this and say, all right, you, you know, you're not going to have those random 35 point games out of Tyler Hero because he's not available. Bam is not, you know, bubble Bam, who they, who just went nuclear on Boston in who that. got to play against Daniel Tice. Right. Yeah. He's not, he's not the guy anymore. And the Celtics are better equipped to defend him now and all of it. You know, Duncan Robinson getting, you know, finding some heat versus what he was last year. Like he's sort of turned back the clock a little bit in terms of opportunity. That makes me a little nervous. A little and I've said this many times throughout the playoffs that I just feel like there's going to be that 30 point Max Struess game that, you know, is, is going to be the, you know, like that's one of the losses. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's just, it's inevitable. That game is going to happen. I don't, I, I really do. There's going to be a couple of big Jimmy Butler games. I don't think that he is going to average 30 plus in this series. Is he capable? Of course. Do I think it's going to happen? I don't. I think they're going to find a way on him and there'll be a couple of real, you know, he'll, he'll go for 40 once or twice like that. You know, that, that feels again, like it's, it's just going to happen. What it's, I guess as, as much as Jimmy Butler does scare me and he does, it's really more the heat collective that worries me. And I didn't feel that way about the Sixers. It was, you know, what is Joel Embiid going to be? And can he take over this series? The Sixers collective did not scare me. The Hawks collective did not scare me. It's what would make me nervous about the Celtics. If I'm any other team, it's that the, the, and, and obviously Boston is so much deeper than Miami and so much talented than Miami. So I don't want to, you know, draw a specific line there, but you look at Boston as a whole. You don't just see Tatum and Brown. You look at Boston as an entity. And I sort of right now, here we are conference finals again, Miami looking at the heat as an entity, Seth. And that is sort of where some of these fears come in. And of course you're, you know, the deeper you go in the playoffs, the better the competition is supposed to get. Like that's just the way it is supposed to work. We're down to the final four at this point. I get that. Uh, But Boston has also had a, a, a rather favorable road paved to the NBA finals that, you know, people, they could have gotten the heat in round one instead of Atlanta, depending on how that play in game went. And, and people would have looked at Miami as a pushover. Then thing is the heat have actually proven themselves a little bit along the way. And now it's a little bit more nerve wracking. I mean, the only team, the only team that scared me as a Celtics fan more than the heat, to be honest, in the East before the playoffs started was the Bucks. 
and he dispatched them pretty quickly. Uh, so I'm, I think the, I think the Heat are basically as tough as it gets right now. I think they're a tougher team to play than the Sixers for sure. Um, I am much like, for example, I think what Bam Adebayo does defensively, um, is much more difficult, I think, to game plan for in a playoff series than what Joel Embiid does offensively. For all the reasons I went over, I just, I just think the stuff Embiid does is guardable in a playoff series. And, but Adebayo is just, he's really smart. And, uh, I don't see a whole lot of weaknesses that he has defensively. Um, you know, the Celtics, for example, in game seven against Philly made a lot of hay by pulling Embiid away from the basket and attacking him. You're not doing that to Bam Adebayo. Like, you're not going by him. And so, uh, I don't know. I mean, can they find a way to, like, pick at some of the weaker points in the Miami defense? Can they, can they play Kevin Love out of the series? That's possible. That's a possibility. Um, can they, uh, can they maybe play Duncan Robinson out of the series? I, I guess that could be a possibility if, if, if Tatum and Brown can kind of go at him, but, I think Miami is just solid and they're basketball is about problem solving and they're just the bat like their team is the best at solving problems. I'm I'm ready for the 18 things that Kyle Lowry is going to do to make me super upset. Oh, the, I call him the little lawyer because he's just out there like litigating all the like all, all he does is like litigate for the whole game. He's just like. Gr- like grifting and arguing with he's like it's like a lawyer out there it's grifting <laughs> i guess in, in in the interest of time because we've, we've been at it a while to go full circle with it because this won't be one of the like your two sit and drink for 90 minute shows we're gonna get out of here in a minute well, we, we only look, did that game once seven, game seven is look if the celtics and heat go game seven person. yeah if the celtics and heat go game seven i won't even be part of it it's just gonna we be need the, the evan valenti brandy snifter back in Back in a, in I busted world. it out for Game Seven with, with Ian Thompson. I had I had some bourbon <laughs> that game. You that, did, that, yeah. That. It's I mean you you are a, a man of rituals, and I appreciate that. So this series is beginning yeah, at the Garden on on Wednesday. Uh, we're going every other day at this point, uh, and and it's eight thirty tips for all of them. So there's consistency to the schedule. Obviously, games one and two Wednesday, Friday, and like I said, so on and so forth with the pattern. What is just before we wrap this thing up? What is the outlook? What is, I don't, you need, you don't need to make a prediction like Celtics in six or something like that. But what is your feeling? What is your outlook going into this thing? How, what is your confidence level in terms of Boston reaching the NBA finals? I, I got to admit, I feel good about it. It scares the hell out of me to say that. Um, I'm, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but I lived in Denver for a few years and I've, I sort of have been a Nuggets fan here and there. And I've, I certainly have fallen in love with Jokic over the, past few years and so that's kind of like the other team I root for and all year I've been dreading the possibility of like these two teams playing against each other in the finals because it's really going to rip me apart um if it happens so but I, f- I feel like that's where we're headed F? I have significantly more respect for the the Miami organization than I do for Philadelphia yeah and uh I don't know. I just playoff Jimmy gives me the the heebie jimmy jeebie, so to speak. You know, he really does. The heebie jimmies. Uh, the hemi jimmies. Uh, whatever you want to call it. He's. I just really respect uh, how he battles every game. I mean, he really. It's it's hard not to to love what he does. You'd want him. On, you'd want him on your team every day, no matter what team you are. Um, and I just well, love. I'm their not here the Sixers. Well, or the I, or the Bulls or the. I think, <laughs> 
Be honest with you, none of those teams have accomplished anything since Jimmy Butler left. It's ridiculous. Oh, it's it's ridiculous. Jimmy, team Jimmy, all the way, man. That guy's. I he might be a pain in the ass to deal with, but he wins games. There's no doubt about it. No, I look. Boston is has more talent than Miami does, but that might not matter, which is why it's scary. Like Eric Spolster is going to do the one thing I think with Spo, he's going to have a plan for so much stuff that you better have some options. And I'm, I am curious about Missoula in this series because this is going to be his toughest test from a coaching standpoint that he'll face. So um, I love this team. Uh, I think this team has everything it takes to win the whole thing. Um, they're mentally tough enough to win this series. Miami obviously isn't going to back down because they know they can hang. So it should be fun. I mean, this is like – honestly, if the season ended before this series, it would be a ginormous failure. Now it's – it's like, well, okay, they're in the final four again. Like, now it's a mild failure. What? <laughs> so now I would call it if they if this if the season ends here, as much as people be like, oh man, you should have lost to the Heat. Something crazy probably happens, and you're like, well, that's but like they got here for the fifth time in seven years. Like, there's something obviously going right here. They have they just got to tinker a little bit more. And and the one thing that nobody's talked about with the Celtics team is like they're just going to add Danilo probably next year. So sick, <laughs> you know, like yeah. Yeah, so I mean, we can we can save this conversation for another day, uh, depending on I guess how things shake out. But um, I'll push back on that a little bit. I'm not saying it's like championship or bust, and if you don't win a title, it's a failure. It's hard to win a title, but this team and this road, you got to get to the finals. It's a, it's I, I guess what I would quibble with is like the idea of failure versus disappointment. Like I think I think losing to the 76ers, no matter what round it happened in, would be a failure. Like. You can't lose to those clowns, but like losing to the Miami Heat, you can lose to the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat can beat you fair and square. Like, uh, and so it would be a huge disappointment because there's not a juggernaut out there. I mean, like Denver's awesome. The Lakers have been, I don't know what is going on with the Lakers. I don't fully understand it, but we can save that for a different conversation. But like, yeah, I, so I agree with you. Like it, the reasons why it would feel like a failure have more to do with like context, I think, than with like uh, the particulars of the Celtics team. It's hard Let's to just celebrate good things. Let's hope to celebrate good things. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I they should win. over that Mother's Day magic. They should win. Yeah, uh, and and I, you know, it's it, I don't want to bleed into arrogance at this stage because that would just, it, it wouldn't even, I could do it. it. It wouldn't even be sincere though. It wouldn't because it wouldn't be how I truly feel. How I truly feel is I think how these guys feel, which is a cautious optimism. <laughs> that is how I feel going into this conference final series. So our next show, because we're coming at you twice a week now, thanks to our great sponsors, will come at you either on, uh, on, on stay between games one and two or on Saturday be, you know, after the, time in boston is is set in the series shifts to miami after game two so one of those two days tuesday or, or uh rather thursday or saturday will be our next show uh but uh let's it, let's have some fun this is going to be interesting we'll be tweeting up a storm and talking the three of us will be texting and uh you know we'll go from there but uh, i'm glad we're here i'm glad this wasn't a post-mortem show they survived uh the Sixers and uh and it's and it's on to the next. We're halfway home, eight wins to go, but you gotta get one before you get four, and certainly before you get eight. For Evan, for Seth, I'm Adam. Thank you. Rate, review, subscribe, and we will talk to you again real soon.